Hi, this is Jerry Reynolds for Sacramento Electronic Supply, who has been servicing the Sacramento area's industrial electronic needs for over 75 years. Family owned and operated, Sacramento Electronics is a registered California small business that pride themselves on their customer service. Their showroom and warehouse are open to the public to browse. Whether you're looking for wire and cable, tools and testers, connectors or relays, Sacramento Electronics is open for you Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova. Or, hey, visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelec.com and do it. Oh, another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro Who? Jim Bob Foley? Holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today... Writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, I've consumed all the uh, media day interviews today. I've heard every basketball cliche possible, so I'm, I'm ready to talk about it all in the podcast today. As am I. Okay, so he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French Lake himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you here. How's it going? Well, it's great to be with you guys, and as uh fans don't realize how hard it was to get on to do this <laughs> so uh, so very very happy to get started <laughs> yeah. well it's a uh, it's media day here in sacramento and as always the kings are snapping pictures and uh, grabbing every mic in the room to do interviews so we're here uh, this episode to ask all those pertinent questions about the upcoming season uh before we get to media day there's a couple little orders of business and then we're going to jump into some fun um we have a little bit of king's news uh, before we can get to the second half of our 30 cues so we'll start here. Uh, the Kings added to their training camp roster, 6'4 shooting guard Jalen Noel, uh, 6'4 240 shooting guard small forward power forward Deontay Burton, uh, 6'5 shooting guard small forward and former Sacramento King Jeremy Lamb. Um, guys, are is there any interest in any of these guys from you about taking that last spot on the Kings roster? Well, the, the only one that you know, I, I could pick out of a lineup is Jeremy Lamb. And, and, you know, he, he is an NBA talent. I mean, we, we saw that his first stand here and he was a, I think a lottery pick for a reason. And so, yeah, I, I could see him. I, I, you know, I mean, it's a long shot, but I think that's a long shot's better than no shot. Yeah. I've always kind of liked Jeremy Lamb. It's unfortunate when he uh, came here the first time he was getting um, coming back from injury. So I don't think that was the best Jeremy Lamb we've seen. He's been out of the league for a year. So who knows, you know, what his health and and skills are like right now. But I think, you know, there was clearly an NBA player there at one point. And I think Noel's pretty interesting too. Uh, he's been a decent scorer throughout his career. Um, could, did not shoot the ball well last year, but still put up points. But he, he has a history as, as being a pretty decent shooter. So if he can regain his shot, uh, outside shot of doing something here. The roster is so full right now. It's hard to predict any of these guys will kind of crack the regular season rotation and make the final roster. But these are these are fringe NBA players. They're they're not nothings. You know, well, a couple of thoughts too. Uh, it is nice to start camp with 
with guys who are all kind of NBA prospects, uh, yeah. have been players as opposed to a favor to an agent, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, relative stuff like that. I mean, I, I always thought that, you know, that's a little bit of cheapens the whole thing. And, and these guys, uh, Oh, I think deserves the shot. Hey, and one, what I gotta take a minute or two here. I hope you guys don't mind, but uh, uh, just get I got to get it out of my system, or I can't go on. It's about to, <laughs> about to pop. Is that uh, I was reading the King's Herald, you know, where the guys come up with uh, nicknames, mm-hmm. and of course, I got to respond. I got some, and I want to get it off my chest uh, just to see if what they think or you guys think. Jerry, I mean, let's do it right now. I had it for well, the end of the pod, but let's do it at the beginning. Let's no, go. No, no, let's just do it now because you know, in case people do, at least they'll they can make fun of me early. And so, so I, these are ones I did on uh, 1140 with uh, Whitey and Chris Watkins about well, two or three weeks ago. You know, I, I hadn't really prepared. I just came on and, you know, I think Chris had had a couple of uh, nicknames and I said, you know, this, you know, do not go there. This is my territory. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, so he said, okay. And then, so, he said, have you got some? And I said, he really, I know it's sad almost that I would have some in mind, <laughs> you know, but I do. And so just see what you think here. All right. Uh, for De'Aaron Fox, especially in the fourth quarter, it's Foxcom five, <laughs> okay. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So in fourth like quarter, it. we're going yeah. Foxcom five. Foxcom five. Okay. And for Sabonis, he's the Zagatron. Okay, not bad, huh? Yeah, uh, Kevin Herter, I hated Red Velvet. That's a mushy, squishy (laughs) thing. How about Red the Red Menace? The Red Menace, yeah. (laughs) I like it. Okay, okay. Kevin Murray, and I I don't know how, but I think it's it's kind of one to throw out there Uh, for Kevin. Tregan Murray. Tregan Murray. Oh, Keegan Murray. Yeah. Tregan Murray. Tregan Murray. Uh, for Davion, instead of Davion, it's Devion. <laughs> That's okay. great. And then uh, my last one, and I know that you couldn't do this because Monk would probably come up in the stands after you, but I think for Monk, it's Chip. Chip? Chip Monk. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it took me a minute to get that. So yeah. that's great. And, and then you know, one little slang. I wish that you know maybe uh, Mark or or Katie would use. It's like you know when somebody gets in the in the paint or something. It's no fouls in the in the fox house. <laughs> no fouls in the fox house. That's great. That's great. So, all right, I feel better now, well, Jerry. I have a collection of a couple from the comments that I'm curious about your opinion on. Okay. Maybe that if whether or not you'd use them or not. Uh, uh, and there's not that many, but somebody um, somebody mentioned for Sasha Vizankov. One called him the Tasmanian Bulgarian, mm-hmm. which that rolls off the tongue. No, <laughs> no, it does not. No, it and does then, not. Uh, the next one for Sasha was hot sauce, like hot sauce, but hot hot sauce. Well, that's uh, you know, if you're making shots, you could kind of yeah. use that. I, yeah, you know, I like uh, 
you know, if he's making shots, splashy, sashy, Sasha, Splasha, <laughs> Sasha, Splasha, Sasha. Like, yeah, something like that. Uh, I could, I we can get behind that one. Um, somebody else mentioned for Colby Jones, you could call him cold, cold blooded. Yeah, I, Cole. yeah, I, I, you know, be honest, I, I, I just don't worry about you know nicknames for guys who haven't done anything yet, <laughs> or you don't expect to. You got to get minutes before you get a nickname. Yeah, with the Vezdenkov, I mean, you you know he's going to play, so it's a little different. Sure. Well, then everybody else is irrelevant because these were all guys that were just barely coming onto the team. Yeah, no, I I, uh, was reading some of them, and it's like, yeah, not that they're bad, but, you know, they're not going to be on the floor, so what difference would it make? (laughs) All right. See, we got our our Jerry nicknames out of the way early today. Yeah, so – so those of you out there in Herald Land, just uh, have at it. You know, I, I got a, you know, I got a strong back. I can, I can uh, carry it a little bit. You know, half our listenership just tuned out for the rest of the episode. Jerry. Well, I, I was going to say, yeah, you know, and, they, and you know, if you make fun of me, I, I really won't go in a corner and cry more than a half hour. Or so, <laughs> okay, so we'll just roll to. Uh, uh, it, it is media day. I'm just going to pull random news and quotes out of the air. And I'm going to get your hot take reactions on them. Obviously, I'm setting you guys up here a little bit. Um, uh, I'm just going to go with my favorite quote of the day. And I'm just surprised it hasn't just caught fire on on, on Twitter yet because uh, it feels like something that we could uh, we could all get behind here. Mike Brown was talking about fan expectations versus team expectations. And he said, um, our, fi- our fan expectations are our reality. And this is the this is the hitter here. We expect to compete for a championship this year. Guys, do either of you expect the Sacramento Kings to compete for a championship this year? Well, I mean, I, I love the fact he said that. Now, in my mind, and there's a, there's a little gray area here, you can be competing for a championship once you're in the playoffs. Sure. That, that doesn't sure. mean you're a likely choice to be in the finals necessarily, but, sure. but I know what he, but I know he means more than that. And, uh, yeah, and I think that's the way you ought to approach it. I think uh, you know, with Coach Brown, he's he's throwing it out there to the guys. We're we're playing for a championship now. You know, as a fan, I I that's what I'd like to see. I don't expect that, of course. Uh, you know, I'd love to be wrong, but no, I but I think that's exactly the approach you love is a, a coach that said we're competing for the championship. Well, that's a nice message for for the young men returning. Tony, last season at this time, uh, Mike Brown said that he's here to coach playoff games. And I kind of chuckled, and I think I remember going, like, yeah, maybe play in games. And uh, then the Kings got the third seed. Can we expect a uh, a similar jump from expectation to uh, to reality for the Kings this year? I don't know. I mean, they're going to they're gonna compete. <laughs> they're going to compete for it. I don't know. I mean, all 30 teams are going to compete for it. So I guess I agree with them there. But I, I, I don't know what, what I thought was interesting. And Mike, Mike Brown said it, uh, Monty McNair said it kind of along these same lines. They both agreed that getting to this point is pretty easy. The Kings made it look really hard because there was such a big playoff drought, but getting to the playoffs is pretty easy. The much harder leap is from like a playoff team to a championship caliber team. So I'm glad they're setting those expectations. Uh, they seem to know how hard it is to make that second, second leap. It would, I mean, it does not take a genius to look at the landscape and and say there's many teams that are more talented than the Kings. So they certainly shouldn't be the favorites or anything close to the favorites. But I do think they will compete for it. They were a top four seed in the West last year. 
the only place to go from there is kind of like that championship conversation. So I'm glad that's how they're talking. That's not my expectations for the team, certainly. But at the same time, they are maybe a move away from from really being in that conversation for me. So it's not totally it's not a crazy statement from the Kings. That's this is kind of where their their heads should be at at this stage to me. No, I definitely think you're right. I don't think it's a crazy statement to make, especially with the couching of the language and that you were mentioning and Jerry was mentioning like, well, everyone's really competing for a championship. Anyone who makes the playoffs is competing for the championship. I just wouldn't expect them out. Like I would, I would, uh, I would be uh, uh, remiss to say if I thought that most Kings fans were just like happy for another playoff appearance or like fans, fan expectations in my mind are closer to like, Hey, let's get to the second round. Hey, let's like, dark horse push for the Western conference finals. I don't know many people that Mike Brown's talking to in terms of regular fans that are like, buddy, we expect to win a championship right now. Like, yeah, I would love to make up for the 17 year drought by winning a couple of championships at some point. I certainly do not expect it of them this year, at least. Okay. So we're going to go to the next quote from Monty. Um, and, and this is about a, a three Gin Murray as, as Jerry now wants to call him. Um, Monty says, um, Keegan's going to be a huge part to how far we can go these next few years. He had a couple other nice things to say about Keegan. Uh, we've seen summer league highlights from him. We've heard reports about him being around Fox all summer long and training with Fox. Do we think Keegan Murray in his sophomore season, especially now considering that Mike Brown has put ch- championships like on the board of expectations, mm-hmm. do you think Keegan Murray in his sophomore season is ready to be the number three guy on this team or perhaps higher on this King squad? Well, I, I do. I think he's got a chance. Now, I'm not saying I would be ready to get upset or, or down on him if he doesn't make quite that leap, but I think he'll make a leap. And I think uh, eventually, I think he needs for this team to really seriously compete for a championship. He needs to be that third guy or higher, but third for sure. And, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think there's any reason to not believe he can uh, take a major step. I thought it was interesting that, and, and in some ways I guess it's obvious, but McNair sort of admitted what everyone has been saying about this team for the entire summer now, which is, oh, wow, McNair is kind of banking a lot, if not everything, on internal improvement, which McNair admitted today, that internal improvement is how they're going to get better, but then also that he's really – what he's really saying is Keegan Murray has to be an all-star for, for this thing to take another step. And he's putting his, putting it out there just like we all thought was the case looking at what he's, his moves so far. Um, so I, and I love that confidence that the Kings have in Keegan. I, I hope they're right. And I like, like uh, McNair also mentioned today, he continues to pass every test that the Kings throw his way. So they have very good reasons to think that Keegan can reach this mark. Uh, sophomore season is not has not been kind to a lot of good young players, though. The sophomore slump is a, is a, is a named thing because it happens to a lot of guys. I want to say Keegan is going to be immune to that just because of the guy that Keegan Murray is. He seems pretty. He seems to not let those sorts of narratives get to him in any in any type of way. So we'll see. We'll see if he can buck that see, that sophomore slump trend. Uh, and I would bet on him doing that. I would bet on him having a very good year for the Kings. An all-star this year, probably not, but he is on his road there, and I don't think that's a bad bet for McNair or the Kings to make. Okay, next one is um, De'Aaron Fox um, claimed that Sasha Vizankov is up there during his media availability today, that uh, Sasha is up there with the best shooters in the world and mentioned that during a recent three-point drill that they were that they were um, taking part in, Sasha made 143 out of 150 
shots from behind the arc. Um, Jerry, uh, this this is obviously just media day. He put on twenty pounds of muscle type discussion, or do you think this is a uh, this is something that could be real? That Sasha Vizankov is uh, quote from Darren Fox up there with the best shooters in the world. I think it's true. You know, I mean, he certainly was maybe the best shooter in Europe, and that's a big part of the world right there. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, just uh, what I've been able to watch. I mean, he's got the quick release. Like I said, I think maybe, I don't know if it's on this one or on radio whenever I was talking, but I I think his stroke really reminds me a lot of uh, Chris Mullen. Uh, and you know, it's, he's got a little higher release and it's not quite as smooth, but, uh, who's is quite as smooth as Chris Mullen, sure. but, uh, that's real, whether he's that good a shooter as Chris or close, I'll, I'll live with that. Tony, how much does this should change the trajectory of the team? If, uh, the Kings have Sasha Vazankov as one of the best shooters in the world coming off the bench for them. That would be pretty nice. That would be pretty nice. And it's not just Fox who's saying that. Anyone who was asked about Sasha today, every single one of them said some version of he's an incredible shooter. Uh, even just the stuff out of the summer practices and and uh, what we've heard from workouts so far, everyone has talked about how good Sasha is at shooting the ball. I'm curious to see how he gets open in the NBA. He's not the most athletic guy ever. Defenses are obviously better at the NBA level. But if Sasha's out here firing seven, eight threes off the bench a game at high volume, that's very exciting to me. And, and really, Tony, those, those are great points because that'd be my question. It's like in Europe, you know, they play a lot more zone. Uh, but man-to-man, is he going to be able to free up uh, enough to get good, clean looks? I, I do think that's a question that has not been answered yet. And then uh, secondarily, though, I do think one thing in his favor on those lines is he's awfully good moving without the ball. And uh, and we've got it. This team is a team that will find guys if they move. And so yeah. to me, that's, you know, one of the reasons I'm very hopeful that he'll have an impact earlier. OK, well, those are my three uh, tabloid journalism quotes of the day for uh, for media day. I didn't want you guys just having to do serious journalism and discussion here. I wanted to see uh, what the hottest takes of the day were. And those were my favorite three. So um, we're not going to get into the 30 cues just yet because uh, I can't leave without getting your guys' take on the Damian Lillard trade. Uh, the final tally on that is Portland gets DeAndre Ayton. They get Robert Williams. They get Time Lord from the Celtics, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Tamani Kamara, three first round picks um, and two uh, pick swaps with Milwaukee. The Celtics get Drew Holiday, the Bucks get Lillard, the Suns get uh, Yusuf Nurkic, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, Grayson Allen. What did you guys think of that trade as a whole and then for each of the individual parts, if you have any impressions at all? Well, my first was just a, such a surprising trade for Lillard that, uh, you know, that the Bucks went after him and got him because I now I, I never thought he was going to Miami. I, I Like I say, I was listening to one of the – geniuses on ESPN and they were, you know, talking about, well, couldn't believe that Portland wouldn't trade him to Miami. It's like, well, they have nothing to give you. Why would you even think that's possible? I mean, what level of thought did you put into it? But, uh, but definitely, uh, you know, it definitely took me by surprise. I I think, uh, you know, I I see the risk. I mean, and I see the reward. Uh, They make some better offensively. And the key word there is offensively. <laughs> uh, this was a, 
a very fun trade to kind of, I was it was breaking as I was trying to go through work and I just could not follow all the different pieces that were moving places. It was fun to finally get a half an hour hour to digest who was going where. Um obviously it's a great move for the Bucks to me. It's a great move for Boston getting Drew Holiday as kind of another secondary part to this. What I thought was kind of interesting and weird and, and not too many people are talking about is what the Phoenix Suns are doing. I don't really love it for them. Uh I'm not a huge Aiton guy, but Nurkic hasn't been able to stay healthy. If you can get Aiton to buy in, that's a championship team to me. They're a championship team anyways, potentially, but I just thought the Suns got worse for really no reason here. So I guess if you're the Kings, I'll take it. But for those teams in the East, Milwaukee and Boston, that's going to be just such a fight at the top of that conference. And I don't know who's coming out of it. I would lean Boston just because I love the holiday fit because I think the rest of that team is better. But it was a wild late or prior to the season moves for the NBA. I can't remember the last time that's happened. I'm sure it has. And someone can remember the last time there was this many huge moves like the day before training camp, but it did change the East. That's for sure. And maybe the West a little bit too with Phoenix. Well, I agree. You agree with all that. You know, my, I thought too, uh, you know, my guess is that Milwaukee, if they knew Drew Holiday was going to end up in Boston, yeah. they, they had to rethought that thing because I, I think, <laughs> I think the Celtics, uh, you know, losing Marcus smart was a big loss, uh, but Drew Holiday is a better player. In my opinion, and then of course Porzingis, if he can actually stay on the floor, that but that's a huge. But anyway, I think those are your two championship contenders in the East. Uh, it has to be said that Milwaukee had the best record in the league last year with Drew Holiday, and of course, you know they lost in the playoffs, but mainly because Adelakupo was uh, hurt, you know, and so so that and then and I'm with you too, Tony, on the. Uh, I like Portland getting Aiton. I don't understand, and I'm I have been less than a Nurkic fan for a couple of years now. I mean, the only thing I can figure is they wanted somebody who probably didn't even want the ball and would set yeah. good and set good screens. And if that's the case, it might work. <laughs> you know, just set screens stay out of the way of the shooters and scorers. But uh, yeah, and then you know. The other part, I, I think Portland came out right because they're doing the full Will Griffin. It's a, yes, it's, sir. It's, it's a, it's a total te tear down. And I think they're in pretty good position to do that. So, uh, so, so, so I think there's three teams that probably feel like they got, at least in my mind, I think they got better. And then the fourth one, I don't know that did. Yeah, I'm curious about that that Nurkic uh, move. That that feels like an Achilles heel for them. It feels like they they wanted a rebounder, a screen setter, and a guy that could maybe slow down uh, Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. Like he, that's all he's going to be there for. Like, I, I I guess they get a little bit deeper with a guy like Grayson Allen, uh, with Keon Johnson and Sierra Little. But I hated that for the Suns. Uh, as for Celtics Bucks, that's dead even for me. That's you know, can can KP st stay healthy versus can the can the Bucks play enough defense with Damian Lillard at the front to make it work? But uh, I, I agree with both of you guys. This is this is a this is a slaughterhouse. The East is terrifying, and I'm glad we're in the West right now. Yeah, that was my my thought. You know, when Drew Holiday was out there, I think I was on a, on a radio thing too, talking about that, and they asked my thoughts, and I just said, I don't know where he's going, but I hope it's East. Just yeah. go East. We don't yeah. want him in the West. <laughs> There was rumors he, I mean, there was a very, very light rumors that the Kings might be interested in Drew Holiday also, which I don't know how he fits with Fox, but you don't say no to Drew Holiday. So I guess you figure it out yeah. if you have the opportunity to. Well, but yeah, the, you know, the problem with that, Ben, is what all you'd had to give up. And, right. And yeah. I mean, I, that's why 
yeah, would he be he and Fox be good together? Yeah, I think they would. Mm -hmm. I don't think that'd be a problem. But you know, he's older, and and then plus, you know, with his contract, you're going to have to give him, you know, probably Keegan Murray and and <laughs> and draft picks and somebody else. And I, I you know, I I just think uh, continuity counts for something in this league. Uh, last thought on this is only that Jerry, you're absolutely right. Portland has now. With with their young guards, with uh, Shaden Sharp, Simons, with uh, with uh, a Scoot Henderson, with uh, with Aiton as Aiton and Time Lord there as big guys there, that that young team is really really interesting for me. They shot up the charts of teams I'll be watching this season just just because of the way they turned that around so quick. Got to trade Jeremy Grant though, Will. Yeah, 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 Jeremy Grant is that last piece. He's sitting there, and I'm squinting at him like, "Where are you going, bud?" <laughs> well, they, I guarantee you, they're trying. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, uh, oh yeah. You know, the, but they, they forgot they signed him to that contract, you know. And so, uh, you know, it's a, you know he's a good player, but he's a stat guy. You know, he really mm -hmm. needs to be coming off the bench for a good team. You know, that's my opinion, I think. Anyway, that's just my opinion of him. I think he's always gotten overhyped because he put up a lot of numbers and a lot of losing games. You know, Jerry, that, that uh, actually this is, this is something that you remind me of right here. Uh, only because you've been a GM before. There's been some talk about Joe Cronin, the GM of the uh, the Trailblazers, basically strengthening the Miami Heat's two opponents in the East in terms of like guys that they'll have to teams that they'll have to get through to get to another finals. And people are like, oh, Joe Cronin's being petty by swapping Dame to the Bucks and then swapping Drew to the Celtics. To to is there any is there any time any case that you can think of where you were petty and traded a guy to a place <laughs> or? or avoided a team in a trade just because you didn't like the GM or you didn't like the team? Oh, I've been petty a lot. Uh, still, <laughs> still am, but, but no. Uh, and I don't think for a second Cronin was that. I mean, I think that's, that's more, mostly media people being petty yeah. or whatever, because you know, Miami had not the trade, yep. you know, they're, they're starting guards. They lost in free agency. I mean, unless you're going to trade Butler or at a bio, how do you get, a Lillard, a Drew Holiday. Well, you don't, and uh, so that's that's on that's on them. No, I think Cronin he did what's best for his team because he wanted uh, clearly and I think wisely to go in the Will Griffin rebuild method, and that's uh, that's all you can say about that. Amen to that, Jerry. I, I'll we'll put a bow on it right there. Okay, so as the Kings Herald does every year, they go through the month of September. They asked 30 of the most pressing questions about the Kings headed into the next season. We did the first half uh, two weeks ago. We're here for the second half today. So we'll start off now. Um, we talked about this a little bit last time. When we were talking about the, the big guy rotation. But the first question uh, asked up by Greg was, how will the Kings use Trey Lyles this season? You know, I, I, I think he's going to play minutes at five and four. I mean, I think he's such a good player that you need to get him on the floor. And I really see the Kings – uh, you know, they're an offensive team that that's their strength and Lyles uh, at five, uh, you know, is a nice fit behind Sabonis to keep the offense going at a high level. And so that's the way I see it. I mean, obviously JaVale McGee gives them a different kind of look periodically, but I think Mike Brown, you know, as creative as he is, is, is at times, you know, maybe the team may be small, but they're going to score the ball. You know, and I mean, Lyles helps him do that. I'm having a tough time with figuring out Trey Lyles on this team because he, he can play the backup five or four, 
but now he's got two guys in the in the on the bench with him in JaVale McGee and Sasha who are better than anyone he was competing with for minutes last year in my opinion so I don't know I don't know where those minutes are going to come from he'll obviously play some and somewhere he averaged uh just under 17 minutes per game last year does he reach that many this season with the Kings without injury I'm not sure but I I think this the Trey Lyles question is going to get answered by JaVale McGee's minutes more than anything else I just I have no idea how Mike Brown is going to use him how often he's going to use him he's an older player now so is he coming in here as a 15 minute per game every night backup center or more of a spot backup center? And I don't know. I don't know that. And I think that will have the biggest impact on Trey Lyles minutes more than anything else. Cause I do think all things being equal, Sasha will play over him if we're just talking backup for three minutes. So I, I think it'll mostly be at the backup five, but will that happen over JaVale McGee? I don't know yet. No, that's, that's a good point. I, I, I kind of see McGee as a real spot backup. Yeah. Because, because uh, you know, they're how they are going to play or need to play or want to play. I, I don't know that he really fits that. Right. You know, the 80 mile an hour and all the time. And, and, you know, he, he can do what he does. And, and I said, I was glad they got him. But it would just seem to me like if you want to, you know, go score 140 every night, uh, Lyles is a better fit most of the time okay so uh tony you wrote this next one so we'll, we'll go to you first just so you can uh you can get that and jerry can respond um will monty mcnair make a big move this season i kind of left this one open in myself i didn't do a great job answering it when i asked it because monty i don't know monty will go through periods where it seems like he's not doing anything and then he'll make a big splash out of nowhere i know i i was listening to his press conference today for media day and he said uh, that they will continue looking for two-way players to improve the team. And anytime he mentions improving the team or making big splashes or then mentioning again two-way players, I can't help but go back to OG uh, in Toronto, who is who, if you're paying attention to Toronto's media day, they're having quite the time over there with yeah. Masai talking about how they were selfish last year and some of the players kind of disagreeing with him there. So I think Toronto is is on the cusp of, a, of an explosion and if the Kings can take advantage I feel like that's the big move that I that I always mentally reference when I talk about what Monty McNair can do to improve the team this summer or this season yeah I wouldn't disagree with any of that I, I do think when you look at the Kings roster who uh, would they move or could they move or feel like they could move in order to improve themselves and I think it's almost uh, besides Harrison Barnes I think it's got a it's Herder and Davion yeah. Uh, you know, those are the three guys that, uh, you know, they're really good players and they have value in the league. They're clearly assets. And and with some combination, you may get be able to get another asset that fits better. You know, you know, the old Jason Williams for Mike Bibby, uh, Corliss Williams for Doug Christie kind of thing. Uh, good for good. Just good. Good differently. And uh, so I, I think Monty McNair's sharp guy, and I, I, I'd be willing to bet you that uh, if it is and it does happen, it'll be something like that. Do you guys have anyone you'd peg in terms of like uh, coming into the season who might be Damian Lillard? Obviously, already got moved, so he's out of the race. Drew Holiday is is gone. Is there any big name or kind of big name that you guys have your eye on, uh, Tony? You mentioned. Obviously, the, the Toronto Raptors today are throwing the word selfish at each other like it's a food fight in a cafeteria. Fifth <laughs> on graders. day one, on media day. On, on day yeah. one. Jay, Jay, I don't know if you heard any of that. Yeah, yeah well, 
there's some truth to it, obviously, if enough yeah, guys sure. are saying it. And, and uh, yeah, I think the Raptors, they really ought to divest themselves of Siakam and uh, mm-hmm. save themselves and maybe send him to Sacramento would be a good spot. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> you know, punish him. And, yeah, uh, yeah. but it, anyway, yeah, who knows? I mean, I like, I, but getting to the point, I, I think he's a guy that was, will probably be available. And I think he'd, he's a championship caliber player. You know, if you want to be a championship caliber team, you have to have, you know, give it some thought. I'm not saying you just have to do all kinds of things, but that's the kind of guy because this, you know, I'd say, well, does he fit their window? Yeah, I think he does. Cause the window is, Oh, it's cracked open. And, uh, is, is how long can you be a championship contender? Who knows injuries and they're young. They're a relatively young team, but, you know, if you can get somebody you think can make you better for three or four years, I, I don't see any reason at this stage of the Kings development why you wouldn't do that, if the, if it makes sense. Tony, do you have any other names outside of Spicy P in, uh, in Toronto? We talked about him briefly. I know no one in Sacramento really likes him, but Jeremy Grant, I think you have to mention him. Just he's on a team that is probably looking to trade him. He plays a position next to Sabonis in theory, where the Kings could be looking for some improvement. You can move Keegan Murray to the three full time. Uh, Jeremy Grant, for all his faults, he still was a forty percent shooter from three last year. He can defend a little bit. He can rebound a little bit. He's a he's played in some big games um, in Denver next to Jokic, and Sabonis is sort of like a mini Jokic. So some of I don't know if you you can draw some parallels there if you want to that that Grant played his best basketball next to a center that had a lot of offensive skills like Sabonis did. So I feel like it's worth mentioning there just because Portland's probably going to move him. I also look at Atlanta and someone like uh, DeAndre Hunter, who I've always, who I've liked for a long time. I'm not sure what the Hawks are doing. So there's always opportunity for shake up there for a team that I view as kind of aimless, but those are the two names that pop into my head uh, after those uh, Toronto guys. Yeah. I love Hunter. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that guy would be, of course, I think they like him too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why they moved, moved off, off the other guy, you know, and it's, instead, you know, because they, they like Hunter better, but, uh, but, you know, he's hurt quite a bit too, you know, and I think so. Yeah. Well, well, there'll be a, there'll be a few more pop up. I think, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think you just, once the season starts, but I think with money, it, you know, it's one of those guys that if the Kings struggle, uh, but the good thing is you got assets, you know, and that hasn't always yeah. been the case, you know, and I mean, you can not that I don't want to see anybody go, but if, if, but it's a business, if you make your team better, that's what you do. Okay. So we're going to go to the next two questions are about uh, the King shooting guards here. We'll start with Malik. You mean, you mean chip? Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. The chip. Yeah. And uh, so, so what's, uh, what's next for chip monk out there? What are we expecting from, uh, from Malik this season? Well, I think a serious contender for six man of the year, you know, at, yeah. at, at the least, I mean, I thought, you know, he certainly could have very well won it last year. And I think, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we saw in the playoffs, he was probably the King's best player in the playoffs. Uh, guys, uh, guys, a baller. Uh, so I just think it'll be more of the same. And of course, you know, he's got a lot of reasons to play well, besides he's a good player, you know, contractually and, you know, it's it uh, it's one of those things where he's going. I think be worth a lot of money at the end of the year, and uh, so so there's that. But uh, yeah, I love love the guy. Uh, could they start him? Sure. Should they start him? I don't know. 
And I, I just know he's really good and one of the best six man of the year and certainly better than a lot of starting twos. There has always been that thought in my mind that the, like Jerry said, you know, Monk was one of their best players in the playoffs. Herter struggled in the playoffs. The Fox Monk minutes all year were so dynamic. I just think the Kings never really went through a losing streak that forced Mike Brown to make a real shift in the rotation. But I do think that is sort of their break glass in case of emergency scenario where you actually move Monk to the starting unit, Herder to the bench, let those that Kentucky backcourt play together for more minutes. They were so good last year together. So I don't know if the Kings will be backed into a corner where they'll like, maybe they'll face a losing streak or they'll be struggling at some point in the season where they will have to make a kind of dramatic rotation move like that. But I do think that is in Mike Brown's back pocket if he needs it. If Monk wants one more shot as a starter, I wouldn't blame him. He's played well enough to get that opportunity. And I think here with Fox, that's just a unique backcourt that we haven't seen start yet. And I, I don't know if the Kings will ever do it, but it's it's there if Mike Brown needs it. And I could see that happening in an emergency or or if things go bad at some point. That was a, a question uh, submitted by a reader, uh, Zach Venero, who also wrote one previously. Um, so this next one is uh, the other shooting guard on the Kings. Uh, can Kevin Herter make another leap this season? That's from Greg. Well, you, you hope so. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, he had a good year. He didn't have a good playoff, but he had a really good, a good year. Uh, I guess my feeling is I don't believe he's as good a player as Monk. I, I just put it there. And I know, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, Coach Brown's doing what he's doing. Uh, but I, I think that, uh, you know, I kind of think Kevin's pretty close to being who he is. You know, I, I think he could become a little better playmaker uh, you know, I, I felt like he, if I found a weakness beside him, he's not a good defender necessarily, but he really missed a lot of opportunities on screen rolls and dribble handoffs to find some bonus for easy shots, more so than like Monk always did. And so you yep. could always, yeah. always see the difference there. So that would be my thing. If he's, if he's going to get better, of course, defensively, number one, number two, he needs to be a little better playmaker. Herter is unfortunately in the in the category of players to me where he can have as good of a regular season as humanly possible for him. And based on last year's playoff run, I'm just going to be thinking this whole time, like, can he do it in the playoffs, though? So to me, that's the leap for Herter, is that for as good of a year as he has, uh, he's not going to shake that, oh, I hope he shoots better in the playoffs feeling from me until I see him do it in the playoffs. So for me, that's the leap, is what does his playoff run look like next year? Is it better? Because it it desperately needs to be. Okay, this next one was uh, an article written by Bryant. Um, how quickly can Sasha Vazenkov adapt to the NBA? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, it'll be an adjustment because of the more man-to-man defense, more athletic uh, players to play against. Uh, generally speaking, I would I, I don't think it'll take him a long time. Uh, you know, he's an older player uh, with experience over there. Uh, you know, it's not quite like a, uh, Hedo or or Pager that came over and uh, they they would been very good over there but they were still young and hadn't had a lot of years and so I think I'd be surprised if he doesn't well I, I've always said I think he'll be all rookie you know I, I really believe that so uh, yeah I think this I mean a guy can really shoot the ball will find a way in the NBA today and the fact that the Kings push it like they do, like no other team in history has been able to do, uh, they'll find him for open shots and, and he'll make a lot of them. And uh, like I said, I think the biggest, biggest uh, learning thing for me last year 
because I've always said, and I've always been right until last year, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, if you're taking the ball out of bounds, you can't run. Well, Mike Brown and the Kings proved to me that, yes, you can, because they did. <laughs> I watched it every night. It was amazing. And uh, so I, I really think that's a key to making it easier for Sasha. You know, uh, you know he, he, he can, he'll run and he can get open on the perimeter and, you, you know, just make shots. I think because the Kings don't need him to be one of their top six players anytime soon, like he's coming in at such a low, um, I guess low stakes might not be the best way to put it, but I'll say a low stakes role right now. He's a, He's coming off the bench to play, I'm assuming, 15, 20 minutes a game. And he's coming from a uh, style of basketball in Europe where he was the guy and so much pressure on him to perform every night that I think he's going to have a pretty easy trans uh, transition to this role. And we'll see how quickly he can accept more. I guess that's the transition I'd be more worried about. But I, I look at him a lot like I looked at Bogdanovich, who came over later in his career after he'd already been in Europe and the guy for so long that uh, he really had no no adjustment period. And I feel like the same will be the, the case for Sasha. How much more of a, an adjustment will it be, Jerry, for him if he's coming off the bench and then, say, a Barnes injury or Mike Brown makes a choice to, uh, no, we're swapping you into the starting role. How hard is that adjustment going from a bench player playing 15 to 20 minutes to being a 30, 35-minute-a-night guy? In his case, not much uh, because uh, he sees himself as a starter. When you're the most valuable player in Europe, I I think uh, he he would not only uh, feel like he's ready for it, he's he feels like he should have been doing it all along. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and that's what you want in a top player. I mean, you know, you know, Malik Monk certainly feels like he could be a starter, <laughs> you know, yeah. or Bobby Jackson in years past and guys like that. I mean, so uh, and I wouldn't put it past him that you know. He, he still might start right off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Uh, this one's from, uh, from, from Bryant. Um, he, he wrote the, uh, the, the article, uh, can the Kings win more games at home? Obviously the Kings won more games on the road than at home. So can the Kings, or I guess I could even change it to, will the Kings win more games at home this season? Well, my opinion, they will win more games at home. And if they don't, then they're not a serious contender for anything. You know, uh, can they be as good on the road? I think that's going to be difficult to be as good on the road as they were last year. But they, but they can more than make up for it by being, you know, what a good team is supposed to be when thirty games at home. And uh, so, yeah, I, I do. I, I I'd be surprised if they aren't significantly better at home. I don't know why. I've never seen a good team that wasn't better at home than on the road, but. <laughs> so this will be interesting to watch. Yeah. They're so capable of being an awesome home team. So I don't see, I don't see why they won't be. Uh, they weren't last year. It's weird. I still don't understand it, but I think it's would be very fair to expect a much better home team. They, uh, they were 23 and 18 at home last year uh, at home. And, um, and uh, they were 25 and 16 um, on the road. We also heard, we talked last time about how they had such a better road defense. They were eighth in defense on the road versus near the bottom of the league at home. What What is the reverse home court advantage in terms of the Sacramento fan base or Golden One Center or whatever it is 
we we joked that it was a Sacramento nightlife, maybe giving everybody else a better rest. But, <laughs> but, but but is there is there something like what what is the and I'm asking, I can't believe I'm asking this a second time around. But what is it about Sacramento that made it last year? Was it just a freak coincidence that this random team came out of nowhere and surprised people at home? And and while they were on the road, or what was it about the Kings that made them so much better on the road? Well, I, I sure don't know, and I, I I suspect that Monty and Mike Brown don't either. But uh, I mean, there's always things you can speculate about because I always point out. I mean, I always remember Dick Mata had a team once, and they won 23 games at home and one on the road. Uh, <laughs> you know, so they were a pretty good home yeah. team and couldn't you know beat anybody on the road, but. The only thing I'd come up with, I know this may be out there a little bit, but this team is such a close team and kind of unified and together type. When they're on the road, that even brings that more into focus. You know, the togetherness, uh, you know, basically on the road, you got nothing to do but think about the game, be together. And at home, maybe they're going their own way for for a little while, you know, and then all of a sudden showing up at the building and, Going, you know, I, I that's a small thing, and it 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 could mean something. I it shouldn't mean what we saw. It shouldn't mean that, but but I do get that a little bit. You know that that's like when teams come off the road after a long road trip, they are always vulnerable. Now, why is that? Well, I, who can say for sure? But I think that's what it is in those circumstances. But it shouldn't be on a on an extended five game homestand either. Tony, JaVale McGee said today that he hated the beam as an opposing player <laughs> last year and that they used to break huddles with the phrase uh, F word, the beam. <laughs> um, I'm curious. Is, is there any other X? I mean, Jerry said maybe they're close. I have the sneaking suspicion that maybe they hated the gimmick of the beam so much that they played harder than they regularly would. Do you have any other explanation for it? The only thing I had come up with, and I, this doesn't make a lot of sense either, but just the, Almost like the home crowd was, I, I so I would watch these games from home and I would get so excited listening to how loud it was. And it's almost like the pressure of being at home can be more can be more pressure than playing on the road when you don't have like all eyes aren't on you to to succeed or fail. Whereas the home crowds in Sacramento were so good last year, they were so loud, they wanted the team to win so bad, and maybe that creates a little bit of of pressure on yourself uh, when people are pulling for you more than when people are against you. I kind of find that works for me too sometimes where if, if I if I have too much support it's almost more pressure because I have all these people that I don't want to let down so there might be a little of that going on too yeah I, I would like a little too much support around here but that's <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, a, that's another story but you know the uh the other thing you know about it a little bit is that you know King's great crowd no question everything you said is true and I've always found out over the years that the best players in the league love to shut up home crowds yeah Okay. You know, I mean, the, the yep. real big time guys, you know, that was always the thing you'd always hear consistently. I mean, they really enjoyed shutting up road crowds as opposed to even playing from before home crowds. And uh, yep. so, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of that, you know, and and I think the crowd's so good that second level players for various teams, probably it motivated them more than sure. normal you know and i mean not to you want fans to be quiet or anything like that but but i, I but i do get it you know that yeah. the competitive spirit of things uh that that could play a slight role absolutely okay we got two more 
Um, can Demonis Sabonis be better with two thumbs this season? Uh, uh, obviously, uh, Sabonis said today that his right hand is uh, could be considered fully healed. Um, is Sabonis going to be better this season than he was last season? I don't think statistically he will be. Uh, you know, I, I I think he's he's who he is, which is one of the elite players at his position. And, you know, 19 points, you know, on 12 shots a game, <laughs> 12 rebounds, you know, 60-some percent shooting, 75 or so from free throw line, assisted, assisted baskets. Uh, I don't know how he can be any better. I think what he will do yeah. is something very close because – and the reason I think it'll be very close is because he done had almost those same stats for the last two years in Indiana when he was there. And I think, you know, and then you'd say, well, why is it so consistent? Well, he plays consistently hard. He plays harder consistently than probably just about anybody I've ever seen. And so whatever drop of productivity you can get out of, you're going to get. And I think he's playing right at the top of his game. So that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah. I would love to say that Sabonis will be better with two thumbs, but his numbers last year were so good. Like he shot a better percentage from the, from the field, uh, almost 62% than he shot in any other year with two healthy thumbs in his career. And even from three, like we have this perception that he, shot terribly from three, but even there, he only shot 1.1 three-pointer a game, but he shot it at 37%. So I would love to sit here and say with, with two healthy thumbs, he's going to be like a 40% three-point shooter, but I don't know if that's ever in the cards for him. And in fact, last year, he shot the ball really well considering the rest of his career. So I don't know how much better he can get. Maybe there's maybe there's a way that the, the two healthy thumbs will improve what he did last year, but man, that was already his best the best year of his career with one thumb. So if he can if he can do any better, then then good luck to the rest of the league. Yeah, just lucky to have Zagatron. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we had a reader-submitted um, article. This was from Scott Savage. Um, he wrote an article called What Does History Tell Us About the King's Jump? And I'm going to edit this to be, um, can we expect another jump from the Kings this season? Maybe not the 18 games that we got, but can we expect another jump from the Sacramento Kings this season, given everything that we know? Well, I think you can. I don't know that it's going to show up for sure record wise and i mean i think because i think the west being what it is it may be tougher to win 48 games uh i do think they can but i also think 48 probably won't get you third uh so so if you know how people want to judge it my opinion is they may win a couple less fewer games and be better prepared for the playoffs i really believe that's more likely scenario and uh and that's you know, I just go back to the, you know, early 2000s teams, you know, with the, how it started with, you know, basically the second year really wasn't better than the the, the lockout season where the Kings, you know, had a great playoff series against Utah the next year. The team won 44, you know, but the percentage was slightly less. And then they got swept in the playoff series, uh, you know, so. So that that's what we just just don't know. I, I do think the team is better prepared, you know, to go forward to get a slightly better. I'm not sure you want to count on uh, measuring for rings yet, but that's just Tony. How are we getting sixty two wins this year? Well, I don't know. the The only road to sixty two wins is if the people who have been preaching continuity 
are like so right that it's good for the best team in the Western Conference or something. Because there's a lot of a lot of talent in the West. Uh, not a lot of teams who have been as together as the Kings have been, which is crazy to say because this team has only been together for uh, of one full season. But that's what you're hearing a lot from media day or fans or writers that the Kings have continuity now, which is great. And we'll see how much that's see how much that's worth. Can that get you 60 wins? I don't know. To me, the leap will come in the playoffs. But if the Kings are suddenly incredible this year, and they win 60 games and, the, and they're at the top of the Western Conference. You can probably give continuity like a, a good a, a good uh, portion of credit for that. Just being more on the same page as a team on the court, uh, off the court than some of the kind of thrown together teams that they're going to be facing in the West this year until those teams can kind of get on their same page chemistry wise. Okay, well, we're going to that wraps up uh, 30 cues for us. So we're going to roll over to a commercial break real quick and uh, we'll be right back. Sacramento Electric Supply now has stock on fiber and fiber accessories from Logix. From bulk fiber cable to splicing kits to connectors, Sacramento Electronics is now your home for your fiber cabling needs. Stop on by their location directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova, Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Or visit them online 24-7 www.sacelect.com Okay, we're back from the commercial break. Tony, uh, why don't you uh, go ahead and give us our Patreon question of the day? Thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can submit questions at patreon.com slash King's Herald or the website or on Twitter. Uh, and if you don't hear your question answered on this main show, we record a Patreon exclusive Q&A once a month where all the leftover questions get asked. So keep submitting questions. We will get to them eventually. Uh, this week's question comes from a Plumley, and he asks, if you had to bet on one player adding a new wrinkle to their game, what player would it be and what wrinkle? Well, for me, it'd be Keegan Murray. And the wrinkle would probably be the uh, you know ability to shoot a floater in the lane and get to the basket, uh, you know, offensively. Those those two things, I think you're going to see a guy that can get to the basket and uh, be more effective as opposed to just a perimeter shooter. Will, any any wrinkles you're looking forward to this year? Yeah, I remember this question, and I remember Tim uh, in the mailbag also giving Keegan his props. And um, I think I said, um, I think Fox is going to come in um, locked in from from deep. I think Fox is one of those guys that knows, like you've heard Mike Brown be like, oh, he even said it today. I mentioned this in the article that I wrote last week, but um, he even he even said it today that like Fox has just started to unlock how good he can be or like there's another level that he thinks Fox can get to. And I think Fox knows that he might not ever be 42% from downtown, but if he can shoot 36 to 38% from three, like that, that opens up so many more opportunities for him in the lane. That opens up so many different opportunities for his teammates where he can you know, where they have to respect his three-pointer, then he can go by him and then defenses collapse and he can kick it out. So my my wrinkle in the game is is Fox uh, has in, in secret all, all offseason been working on that three-pointer just to get it up to where it's like 36% or higher, just so that he can, you know, so the Sashas of the world have wide open threes. So so all these other shooters that he's got, all these movement shooters can 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 catch and and, and hit from open. I just think that, unlocks the Kings offense from being good playoff basketball to championship caliber. And so I'll, 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 I'll bet my money on Fox coming in shooting hot from three. I'm going to uh, 
use my Davion Mitchell point here because I, I watched his media day press conference too. And I thought he had an interesting comment. Um, someone asked him, I forget who asked the question, uh, like what he learned from the playoffs from getting first playoff experience. And Davion said something along the lines of the playoffs exposed all of our weaknesses. And for him, it was his shooting. He mentioned like that was the reason why he felt he didn't uh, give the Kings everything they needed. And I thought it was a very self-aware answer. He's kind of saying the quiet part out loud because we all know that it was the shooting that has sort of held him back so far in his career. He said he worked on it hard all summer. I believe him, but many players have said that before him. And it, it sometimes it comes true, sometimes it doesn't. But for Davion, I, I kind of I kind of buy it. I kind of believe with him. I thought it would come around for him at some point anyways. And the fact that he, you know, he was able to show the self-awareness to make that direct line from, well, I failed in the playoffs for this reason, and this is what I worked on all summer, and it's not going to be the same this year. He said it all, you know, he put it all on record, and I, I'll choose to believe him and say that Davion is an improved three-point shooter this year, and that's his new wrinkle. Okay. We're going to uh, go down to Jerry for the Reynolds wrap-up, which I can only assume is him talking about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's new relationship. Jerry, <laughs> go ahead. You know, well, actually, that is kind of interesting. I, I and now that you mentioned, I think I'll use that. But, but uh, uh, you know, I, I have a different slant on that. You know, sure. because I don't want Taylor to screw up uh, Kelsey. You know, oh, there you go. Come on, I know all these Swifties might come and drag me out of my house and hang me, but uh, they will. I'm, you know, I'm more worried on the football side, and uh, you know, but. It was interesting watching the game last night. How they talked about how many Kelsey jerseys have been sold now, you know, around not necessarily football fans, yeah. or or they even selling some with Swifty on the back. And oh boy, and I mean, of course, she's a you know, I'm not a I you know, I don't know a lot about her other than she's a, you know, kind of like Madonna was 20 years ago. Or, you know, yeah, I yeah. mean, and she's the biggest you can be, and. Uh, yeah. And that's fine. I I just don't want to hurt my football player. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you leave Kelsey alone. Go find yeah. some. Go find some Hollywood actor. All right, Jerry. Now you can actually do your real Reynolds wrap up. I didn't mean to take away from your other. One. <laughs> well, the, you know, uh, the only thing I, I I just saw that really disturbing. You know, the Kevin Porter Jr. thing in Houston. Yeah, really, really is disturbing. You know that. Uh, you know, I. You know, you just. Uh, we, you know, we have those kind of guys in the league. Uh, obviously, you have those guys in society, and uh, you know, it's like Miles Bridges. And, and I mean, you you hope they learn their lesson, they that they're punished properly. And uh, but uh, it's just it's very disturbing, you know, to especially when you read some of the accounts and you you know you don't know for sure if they're all true, but it certainly appears that way that legal charges are there and, and going to be so. So, you know, I think the league, uh, not in fairness, so I think the league is, does a great job of trying, of really, you know, trying to work through some of this because it's probably a fewer, lower percentage of, of NBA players on the basis than there is out in the real world. So that do get involved in some of these things. So, you know, that, you know, James Harden, which I've, I've just become to detest, uh, you know, that's yeah. the only negatives starting the year, you know, that we've allowed the league to, you know, allowed guys like this uh, to dictate his position. I don't think he can anymore. Uh, yeah. And, and the only, I will say there is one positive to the Harden thing is that Daryl Morey is reaping the rewards. If, 
<laughs> and very deserved. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All righty, guys. For everyone here at the King's Herald, for Tony and Jerry, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. Um, we're going to run over now and do a Patreon episode. So if you uh, if you're not involved in our Patreon, it it it, it costs you what? I think our lowest tier is one or two dollars a month. Up to yes. you can do five, you can do ten, you can do forty. I think, and you get hugs and kisses from everyone here at the King's Herald, regardless of what you do. So if you want to hear more content from us, we're over there on the Patreon page. We're going to run over and do one right now. And if not, then we will, uh, we'll see you in two weeks. We're, uh, we're ever so close to Kings basketball. I think we got 20 something days left and then it's, it's time for the real, for the real stuff. So we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks a lot.